Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. Hello, welcome to Hardcore Listing with myself, um, Christopher Glasson. Christopher Glasson. And myself. What do you fancy today? Um, I'm still going with Atom Nuts at the moment. <laughs> I like this, you really own it. Yeah, let's you go own with it, girl. Atom Nuts. Um, today's episode is with stand-up comedian, actor, bagpiper, uh, bagpiper. Dave, Dave Whitney. Um, we met Dave... Um, when we went to see a comedy club and Dave was performing and he was fucking ace. So we was like, let's find out his details, hit him up and see if he'll come on and, and have a chat. And uh, he done exactly that. And let's not say what the top five is now. Bish bash bosh. We went and did a top five at the Hoxton Square Bar and Kitchen where we do our live show. Yes. Um, which is coming up, 28th of April. Bitches, come to our matinee. Yes, we've got some other podcasts that we're recording there in the um, next few days. Yep. Um, if you like your stand-up comedy, um, you can listen to previous uh, podcasts we've done with the likes of Lee Hurst. Indeed. Brett Goldstein. And Jordan Gray. And Jordan Gray, yeah. 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 And we have coming up... Um, Rich Wilson. Yep. That's coming up. We're actually in the bar recording this intro before he arrives Pops in a minute. In. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, lots of comedy for you there. Um, enjoy it, I guess. Enjoy it. Oh, and shout out to our wonderful sponsor, Love Beer. Yes. Oh, and our producer, 76. Yeah. Oh, and our camera <laughs> gimp, Brad Acton. Uh, yeah. So, also, if you want to hear other stuff, if you like this and you want to hear some more, Go over to Patreon, forward slash Hardcore Listing. Mm. We initially set a target for you lovely lot to support and back us, and we've gone over that. So the love is massive. Whoop, whoop. Thank you so much, uh, all you Patreons, um, and thank you all for listening, because we're going to make an announcement, I reckon. We've been going a year soon, um, and then we're going we're gonna to hit a massive milestone in downloading streams mm-hmm. and stuff. So it's incredible when we look at the stats as to how many people listen to this nonsense yeah and we're in the wonderful world yes Kanichiwa is a little clue shut up Chris Spanish <laughs> <laughs> enjoy part one oh, it's a drunken soiree in the wifi <laughs> Chris and Stu present our core listing the podcast Yes, um, I'm just going to just do one last quick test for call, just to make sure everything's there. So, Stu, what beer have you got there, mate? Um, it's a... It's fucking hipster. Um, Is it? Island Records um, mm. IPA. 
that's that is very hipster. Yeah. Yeah. I'm only allowed to drink six times this year, and so I can't. What? Can I even you taste said that? that like it was a, um, a like doctor a had told condition. you that. Yeah. <laughs> what, what would happen to you on the seventh occasion? Um, you turn into a um, Willy Wonka in the Chocolate Factory. Um, the girl who turns into the giant purple. Um, Blue, blueberry. That's what. That was what would happen. And it, when um, when you're abroad, it's always amusing when there's a sort of English sign that's got uh, the grammar slightly wrong, and it's, it's slightly cheap comedy when there's a uh, because you know, not that okay, I can't speak a word of any other language other than English. So berating other countries for even trying to put their signs into English because they realise that we won't make an effort seems rather cheap. But I was in Budapest doing some gigs, and in the hotel lobby, there was a sign for they had a crystal elevator. And they had some lavatories. Unfortunately, this sign said, the crystal elevator of lavatories. Well, how would the plumbing even work on that? This image of a crystal elevator with somebody having a shit in it. <laughs> I don't think I want to see the plumbing in a, cr in a crystal lavatory. Oh, hey, everyone, that's what I had for lunch today. Oh, it's not enough. Big night last night. Sorry, guys. <laughs> I admire the fact that you decided to uh, optimise time by putting a lavatory <laughs> in, a, in, in an elevator. But yeah. why did you make it a crystal one? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think let's just start like that, shall we? Yeah. Yeah. Welcome to Hardcore Listing with Chris, Christopher William Glasson and Stuart. Add some nuts with him. Add some nuts. You're Atom sticking nuts. with that, aren't you? Yeah, You're really pleased with, with that mate, joke. A little bit, yeah. Yeah. Um... And um, how we, are you, my friend? Well, we've been in a car for the last 40 minutes, so Shall let's, we not, let's not pretend? do that. Yeah. All right. um, so we are at the um, Hoxton Square Bar and Kitchen, where we've previously done um, two live sold shows. Sold out. Sold out live sold shows, out my friend. Sold out in um, uppercase yeah. uh, live shows, and we have another one at the end of April. Yes. Um, but that's not the reason we're here today. We're not doing no. a live show today. No. Um, we have... Come here on a Sunday afternoon, and it's very quiet in town. There's very few hipsters about, no, yeah. apart from us yeah. trendies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, and we're here with um, Mr. Dave Whitney. Hello. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very well. Very well. Good. Good. Yeah. Um, Thanks for coming on. Yeah. Thank you very much for coming in from Essex to the the big smoke for me. I'm so, sorry I didn't come out like. Like a, a better guest would have done, like Brett Goldstein. Or something. Yeah, most most <laughs> the kind of like the, the good ones they make that effort, don't they? Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Um, but you don't know us at all, Dave. So that is a risk, isn't it? When yeah. so come come on our podcast, come, come down my shed. <laughs> yeah, we yeah. record a podcast in my garden. When you meet someone, yeah. probably did you guys meet? Because uh, it was after the Lee Hurst. Well, it wasn't Lee Hurst because we'd done an interview with Lee, hadn't we? Yeah. Was it that same night, and that it was, was yeah. That was a show um, in 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 your neighbourhood. In Grace, yeah. Um, Lee Hurst launched his comedy club. It's, yeah, it's this new sort of on the road club because of course he's got his club in Bethnal Green, the mm -hmm. Backyard Comedy Club, um, but he's sort of taking it on the road and putting it into different venues. So. Um, uh, so it's a club format of three acts and a compare. The, the compare always being Lee. It's sort of like Lee and friends. As well, but it was a very nice gig. It was a very nice gig. It's always nice to play a theatre. Mm. You know, people all facing the right direction. No one, <laughs> no one eating nachos halfway through your jokes. <laughs> it's, uh, it's nice. Lovely. 
Um, so did Stu sort of run up to you afterwards and sort of like literally just passing the foyer um, and uh, it was uh, uh, flattering enough to ask me he, to come and have a he chat he was very complimentary about you post show as well to me Dave as well he was like oh watch this guy he's really funny I've asked him if he'd come on the uh, show although he won't come to Furrick because he said I don't know you mate yeah. and I'm not coming that, to your that's, shed that's soured the whole day for me <laughs> like, I think we need to work throughout this hour to get over that <laughs> uh, just a bit lazy <laughs> right. Mate, but you, you <coughs> said not, I'm not a bit lazy, mate. I'm phenomenally lazy. <laughs> if I don't have to leave the house for a gig till 6pm, I get up at 10 to 6pm. <laughs> so, okay, so before we talk about what your top five is going to be today, what other ones did you consider? Um, well, I, I had a situation where I sort of I went back through your sort of back catalogue and whatever somebody else did, I, I sort of started become obsessed that they had stolen the best. I, the movie death one I particularly loved. Mm. I did think after listening to the movie death that I was going to do top five Oscar travesties. Wow. Um, That's but, a good show. Um, I like that. That's yeah. a great one. Someone's going to listen to that and someone's going to put Somebody else can do out. the work because I, I got on IMDb for about... 45 minutes and um, really hadn't solidified anything apart from uh, that the Chicago getting p- best picture would definitely be number one. It's got to be the worst film to ever win best picture. Uh, and uh, the fact that most people seem to win the award the year after they should have got it. Yeah, yeah. So you got Russell Crowe who should have got it for The Insider and then got it for Gladiator yeah. the next year. Yeah. Yeah. And Judy Dench should have got it for Mrs. Brown but then she got it for six minutes uh, performance in um, Shakespeare in Love. <laughs> it was the most really. Yeah, six, she's on screen for six minutes and she wins Best Actress in a Supporting Role. And it's just it's, it's an apology for getting for, for forgetting to give it yeah. to her the year before. The same happened with um, Colin Firth, who should have won it for a single man, uh, and then got it for the the King's Speech, which is a dreary puddle of piss of a movie, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, it that would look great in, in inverted commas uh, on the front of a if DVD. You're not, if you're not writing uh, captions and slug lines dreary for movies, Dave, that's, you've got a whole new career waiting for you. A dreary puddle of piss, puddle of piss of a movie. Uh, if it, directors with a sense of humour should put that on their yeah. Oh man! So you're a big fan. You like the movies, and do, do you get do you get tied into like the Oscar season? Yeah, I mean, awards are, are ridiculous by their very nature, mm. and I, I, I certainly think that I have I've misguided my own sort of my credit. This is very um, sort of new agey. But it, it is a complete misdirection to think that anything in the arts is a competition. <laughs> and uh, I was brought, both my parents in the army, I went to military school, and I kind of had this sort of, sort of macho um, thing about everything that I do that I want, you know, that it's a competition. And it's definitely the wrong attitude to take yeah. to the stage as a stand-up comedian. Sure. It's, it, it's not boxing. It's, um, you're up there to, to, to play, to have fun. And as soon as you sort of like... and, and you know, I mean, it's understandable why these things exist, but the second you start doing stand-up comedy, the structure of your first sort of two years doing stand-up is doing all the new new act competitions. Yeah. So you rarely do a, a gig that isn't a competition, mm. and it's completely actually the wrong way to to look at creating your 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 voice or jokes or something. Um, but 
that attitude of competition certainly exists when I'm screaming at the television at two in the morning because I think that the wrong actors won a six-inch golden statue. <laughs> Do you know what? I have exactly the same thing. I've stopped it about five years ago, and it was... What, so hoping to be featured in the Oscars? <laughs> you know, like, I'm just thinking I'm going to get it <laughs> the next got, year got like, act. for my work be in a movie. <laughs> no, it was the Brit Awards. Like When yeah. the Brit Awards oh, yeah, was yeah. the kind of the, your Jarvis Cocker yeah, kind sure. of... It, where, where it was a bit more it was of exciting. a thing to behold, yeah, yeah. even though the fundamentals are it is an industry backslap mm. and a load of bollocks. Yeah. But, the, you know, you'd get to see really exciting artists back then. Mm. And... I was involved. I was mm. like, you know, I would literally be screaming at the telly, yeah. you know, that, um, you know, why has, um, uh, I can't even think of her name, Tamsin, someone that done Sleeping Satellite, why has <laughs> she won four Brit Awards when, uh, on, <laughs> based on a one-hit wonder when uh, Massive Attack had an old man that year. Anyway, right. I can already just feel myself starting a rage inside. No, I feel, I, 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 when I was on IMDb and mm. I just like, because this year, of course, um, Gary Oldman is nailed down favourite mm-hmm. to win for... But Daniel Day-Lewis' performance in, in Phantom Thread is... I haven't seen it it's, yet. I mean, it's, it's not a very exciting movie, um, but it's beautiful and it's precise and it's... Uh, it's all the things that Gary Oldman's performance in Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy was, which he should have won an award yeah. for, but it went to the artist because nobody had seen a silent movie for 50 years and there was just novel. The novelty yeah. of it, yeah. And where's... Where's that fella? Yeah, probably Where's in France. Imagine, um, it's, I it's weird because so. there's a tenuous <laughs> link there from Daniel Day Lewis because I was always got when you were talking about Oscar disappointments. First yeah. thing I was going to say was when he did uh, Gangs in New York and he played Bill the Butcher. Mm. I was like, I loved that role. He was so menacing in that, did and he, he, did, he, didn't, he didn't get it. No, it was Jack Nicholson for um, um, oh Schmidt about Schmidt. Yeah, yeah so, so did. Daniel Day-Lewis must have got one for... About, he got one for My Left Foot. My Left Foot. Um, there he, Will Be Blood. Yeah. And Lincoln. Scott oh, Lincoln, of course, yeah. So. I like In the Name of the Father. I thought he was... In the Name of the Father. Yeah, that, that was a travesty. Yeah. Uh, because that I mean, was... Jerry Conlon, um, that that was, was, was... I mean, Tom Hanks is amazing and stuff, but that was, that was more to do with the fact that it was the first major motion picture about AIDS. Yeah. It was not... Oh, it, it lost out of Philadelphia. Yeah. It was... Um, and I think I think that Lewis's performance in the, in the in the name of the father is a politically bent movie. Yeah. Um, but it's a phenomenal performance. Yeah. And Pothwaite is brilliant in that as it well. Is, yeah. Did I pronounce that right? Yeah. Pothwaite. So. Peter yeah. Pothwaite. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, they, um, that director who also made uh, My Left Foot um, with Daniel Day Lewis, they got together a third time, and I think their best work with completely unrecognised the, the boxer. And that's, oh God, um, we've. Um, Emily Watson. Emily, Emily Watson, where oh, he's that. got the boxing club in Ireland, hasn't he? Yeah. And, oh, do you know what? I've still got... That That was a first date film um, for my first oh my ever, God, like, not proper... not a date movie. No, it hey, he's, he's telling me a date movie he had in the car earlier, Once Were Warriors. You've seen that one. <laughs> <laughs> was just, was uh, it, I, I took a girl to see the, Mother. That didn't go well. Um, oh, uh, God. <laughs> well, well, Pip said he went to the, the Soho Theatre, didn't he? Um... And he, he, who is he with? I can't think who he's with. But he went in to watch Irreversible, and he That's said, and you just see a either. young couple just walking in like on that kind of awkward first date, and you think, mate, you do not want to watch mm-hmm. this. On this the is first Irreversible to your relationship. <laughs> the first four minutes of that movie. Oh. Oh. 
Right, okay, so... Shall we, shall we get on to it? Let's do it, yeah. Have we announced the top five No. Dave. Well, I think we've actually done a five. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I, I, I really enjoyed listening to Brett, um, who I know Brett Godstein, we've gigged together for many a year. I enjoyed listening to his. And um, I, th- I thought, comedy deaths, we've all got our, our stories. And Sorry, before you announce, so... When you were saying earlier about your competitiveness, so did you find the only other stand-up <laughs> comedian that you know and think, right, I'm going to try Brett? <laughs> Brett, no, no, not conscious. Oh, shit, Brett Goldstein. <laughs> I'll take your deaths and I will put them to the power of ten. <laughs> Sorry, mate, go on. Um, but we, we've all got our stories and they're all f- sort of unique, but in a way they're all kind of the same <laughs> um, and it's sometimes deaths you know exactly what's happened you know where you've gone wrong you, you know how you've not connected to them uh, and you've sort of had to sort of you're on the ropes and you're, you're, you're having a box clever out of it you're sort of trying to work you know you've said something you thought was funny about their town but they've taken it to heart um, <laughs> or <laughs> you know you've done or you've just you just started too quickly. You've gone to the first joke too fast, and then when once a first joke doesn't really work, there's a lack of faith in the room. Right. You're having to un- unpick that and come back from it. And sometimes you have app- just no idea whatsoever what it went wrong. Oh. I did a gig at Bristol Jonglers once. Is this one of the five? No. Well, yeah, let's go with it. Yeah, this one. Yeah, because I'm not going to do deaths. I'm going to do surreal experiences because show business uh, across the board, whether acting uh, or stand-up or my other string to my bow, which is playing the bagpipes, um, you do seem to get yourself in situations of how in the name of the Lord did I end up here? What, what, what has resulted... What chain of choices yeah. <laughs> got <Yeah>. me <laughs> so it's, with this body in a travel lodge? <laughs> <laughs> the butterfly effect. I think your movie would have been much more... So it goes beyond so your, your stand-up. It's surreal gigs. So, yeah, yeah, it's because I wanted to... Uh, talk about some bizarre situations I've got in with the bagpipes, so not just stand-up, just sort of surreal experiences. So are they in order of surreal to really, really fucking surreal? Oh, uh, yeah, maybe up to, yeah, kind of, well, maybe just up to sort of fucked-upness. <laughs> okay. Um, uh, yeah. Um, I'm going to, yeah. F- fucked-upness, yeah, let's go with that. Okay. <laughs> excellent, excellent. we have number five, then? Let's do or, it. Or you was about to say another sort of comedy death there well yeah you the, the, fini- yeah. finish that story and then we'll do your five but, no I think we'll go put Bristol in, in okay. the mix All right, okay. uh, this is a sort of classic death okay it's um, you know in the fact that you sort of just go on stage and you just do your first couple of opening jokes and uh, comics work in many different ways so I, I, I tend to have what I am presently opening with that this is the routine that I'm opening with everywhere at the moment and I see where that takes me. If they seem like they, it, it's, I suppose it's, I mean, I've never DJed, but I imagine it's very similar to being a DJ in the fact that I have a, a box of records. I'm not gonna play all of them every night and I'm gonna play them in different orders. But once the record is on, that routine is verbatim and, and constructed in its, um, in, in its entirety. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but, but I may, 
I, the choices of which records I'm going to play are instantaneous sure. as yeah. I, at once I'm on stage. And um, uh, nice analogy. Well, thank you very much. Uh, <laughs> words are my my my, my weapons. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, so I got got on stage and just got nothing of the first bit, and it was sort of like jumping from oh maybe they didn't maybe it's too filthy, but it's a nightclub of stag dudes. What do you mean it's too mm. filthy? Or maybe I try and be political, or maybe they they think I'm because also out of London you can often get a sort of Oh, you think you're something from the big smoke type, sir. Um, especially, I mean, some, no, no town, you should ever say one thing is like a town, but Liverpool is very, very difficult. Uh, London, they don't, uh, Matt Blaze, who's, uh, I think he's not doing stand-up anymore, but uh, huge black guy, he's like a 6'4", or and uh, he goes to the stage, <laughs> saw him in Liverpool, walked on stage, and went, I love you, Liverpool. I love you. I'm not blowing smoke up your ass. I do love you. I have to go around the whole world and deal with racism. But you hate me so much because I'm a cockney you haven't even noticed I'm black. It sums up the Londoner's experience of gigging in Liverpool. And he's all right. Spend half of your 20 minutes trying to go, no, no, I don't think that. Uh, we're all the same, really. <laughs> oh, I just want to tell you some jokes about the taste of car. In this particular gig in Bristol, it it got to the point of wondering whether the English was their first language or something. It was just absolutely horrific. And the amount of weekends over 10 years of being a stand up that you do a Friday and a Saturday show, and you spend the Saturday wandering around a a ubiquitous town centre, you know, with its you know, everything being the same wherever you are, everywhere. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, it doesn't matter whether you're in Liverpool or, or London, we've got the same five shops and same yeah, five yeah. restaurants. Um, and, uh, and the amount of times you have, you know, the time of your life on the Friday night and see nobody from the gig on the, <laughs> as you walk around town. This particular weekend in Bristol, I think I bumped into every member of the audience <laughs> <laughs> walking around the town centre, almost like they were following me. I mean, it was... That's pain. Was it a bit painful? Oh, then? it was horrendous. Yeah. It, must, it must be like what it is. Uh, I've never done cruise ships, but people talk about if you die on your ass on a cruise ship, the worst thing is, is oh, you're no. stuck on that ship yeah. with the audience. <laughs> and there's, there's nowhere to run. <laughs> you start coming down a corridor and somebody at the other end of it, you, you know. Where'd you put your face? Do you acknowledge them? You walk past in shame with your head held, hung low. Like you, they know. They know what you did. You weren't funny. <laughs> it's like the worst thing you could be. It is, yeah, it is the worst. No, to put yourself out as being funny and yeah. then not being funny. Mate, that is. Sounds nerve wracking, man. Uh, and you're from London. <laughs> <laughs> you with your matching <laughs> shoes uh, <laughs> thinking you're Billy Big Bots <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, yeah so, and, and when I went back to the cause you have to return to the scene of the crime because you, you're back and less and less so nowadays but you used to always be booked for a weekend so uh, oh so you'd do a Friday and a Saturday yeah. oh okay and you'd have to go back <laughs> back to the, 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 the scene of the crime where you see a sort of chalked outline of your own body <laughs> on the stage um, 
And what was nice about this particular is every member of the staff, from the door staff to the DJ to the bar staff, the waitresses, all had their theory on what had gone wrong, which was pretty painful. To sort of they were unpacking it for you, yeah. weren't they? Oh, fuck <laughs> oh they all vocalised it. Yeah, they were all going, they were all, because they'd seen me before, they'd seen me go down well, you know, you'd play that, I'd played that club dozens of times. Oh, right. Um, so, so it was, it was both comforting, the fact that they had gone, this is odd. Why, <laughs> we've seen these things work yeah, before. Yeah, yeah. What, what's happening here? And it is, it's weird how a group can have a sort of like psychic... Um, uh, that they, they can all make the same decision, which makes you think maybe it is me. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I've seen acts that are brilliant just have a night where the whole room has one go... No. Nope. Do you think once they once there's that it's a bit it's like the op, it's like the anathema of a hysteria. It's the opposite mm. because once everyone's started being silent, does anyone want to actually be the first one to go? <laughs> actually, that's funny because everyone's going to be like, no, we've all we've all kind of silently agreed that this guy sucks and he's yeah. bombing, so that, don't laugh. That didn't apply the next day though, when one at a time they all come up to you and was like. The reason you were shit last <laughs> night was it's a shame they didn't refrain then. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, part of it, it was. I mean, it was quite painful to listen to one member of staff's theory after another. <laughs> 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 so good. It's, 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 all right, the guy who takes the coats has got an idea of how. I can <laughs> Okay, I'll get my notebook out. Uh, <laughs> you think I should do what? Tell more jokes, right? Okay. <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> I Jeff Innocent, who's like, the, do, you, do you know Jeff? He's like, he's the absolute king of the comedy right. circuit. He's a um, massive, big, bald-headed Cockney guy. He's quite an intimidating presence. And um, But I got on with him quite early. We sort of had the same sort of uh, attitude, I suppose. And... Um, he, um, he said that he'd, he'd uh, watch my set. It's about the third time. He said, because sometimes comics don't even watch each other, you know, uh, depending on where you are on the nerve scale. You know, I know, like, you know, Tony Law, for instance, likes to be sort of like in his own space. So he's yeah. not going to, you know, getting himself into his own character, as it were. Sure. So that, um, so he's not really watching anything that's going on before him. Yeah, uh, Jeff was be nice enough to say that as we get on, he was going to. I was going to make some notes. And I was early days, really early days. The only note that Jeff had for me was, yeah, I think you probably need more bits that make them laugh. <laughs> if you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're 
you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Thanks, Mike. Oh, that's uh, rough. Should I write that down? I? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You're gonna, you need to go, have to go over that one. Explain it. Oh shit. Okay, so before we get on to the next one, like it's an obvious question, but how did it sort of all come about? Why did you decide to become a stand-up comedian? Um, uh, well, I. Uh, I suppose this, this actually should... I was just realising that I didn't have a full five, so this will be one of them. Uh, my first ever gig uh, was a result of me lying. Um, I was... Story uh, in my life, mate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Foreshadowing. Uh, <laughs> now I've told hundreds of people that I'm a DJ, I'm actually going to have to <laughs> yeah, go yeah. buy a record. Um, I was... Um, I went. To, I trained as an actor. Uh, acting was my first thing, and um, uh, I went to uh, the drama centre um, for not with the head of the Greys Mafia was in my third year, um, Russell Russell Brand. Oh, okay. Um, uh, we were talking beforehand that Greys has become this this cultural fountain uh, <laughs> from Pip and, and Russell and uh, uh, and Carl Donnelly. He's a great comic. He's from Greys as well. And um, but in my year, another just clunky name drop was um, Tom Hardy, and um, no. uh, Tom. But, but, was successful straight off the bat, got lots of work. Straight first job was uh, Band of Brothers. Um, oh. And um, but he and he had an LA agent, but um, and I just I had I'd been doing nothing. I had a day job, and I just thought and I'd done a couple of theatre things, mainly sort of open air Shakespeare in you know English heritage places, doing lots of spitting while shouting type. Uh, theatre, yeah, um, lots of very controlled energy, <laughs> controlled anger. Um, so I went in this very stereotypical, struggling actor way. Oh, I'll go out and see what it's like in LA. And um, Tom got me a meeting with his agent out there. And um, my London agent at the time was a very successful stand-up comedy agent, um, but never, um, but. Um, but I just decided well, I might as well bring on some actors, make some money, see, put them on the website, see if any of them get any work. But um, so when this guy that Tom sent me up a meeting with had looked me up, he got a website of all these stand-ups. So he just understandably assumed I was a stand-up, and it seemed to really impress him. So I saw no good reason to dissuade him of the idea that I was a stand-up comedian <laughs> because I didn't. I just. I didn't want to ruin it for him. This is a uh, really great way of getting into any career, by the way, Dave. Already, <laughs> I'm like, oh, wow. And, and he was very... He, he said, look, I'm not... It was, uh, I can't sign you because you don't 
don't have a work permit for America. You've got no, this is a big Hollywood agency. Um, but while you're in town, I'll, I'll, I'll set up a couple of meetings for you and we can just see if anything flies, which was very generous of him, really. And, um, and then he phoned me up a couple of days later and said, great news, I've booked you a gig. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> and I either had to do the gig or tell him I'd been lying. And you manned the fuck up and just went for it. Well, well no, not manned the fuck up. You continued the lie. And then yeah, yeah. Which is hard. To be honest with you, I feel that's harder than just going, oh, listen, there might have been a few wires crossed and, <laughs> and actually going up on stage, not being a comedian and, and trying to be funny. Well, I'd, I'd, been, I'd been ruminating and considering doing stand-up for ages, so it just felt like, okay. right. like this, okay, well, I'm here now. Yeah. Let's, let's do it. Um, and to be honest, it was a very easy gig. It was a posh gig in Beverly Hills, and Beverly Hills people dead easy done a few uh, and in English <laughs> well they, they, they were just they liked an English person cool. telling uh, very poor jokes about an Englishman's perspective of Beverly Hills sure it um, and it it was an easy first gig I soon soon found out how easy that gig okay. was right, yeah. at Respective gigs as sure. I, as I like went the one down in the road. <laughs> <laughs> Hang on, the ones in Beverly Hills love the fake tits jokes. <laughs> uh, yeah, not, not much, uh, not much call for that type of stuff in Ipswich. <laughs> um, it, it got uh, is a no Ipswich. Um, so I um, was doing this sort of pub gig. Um, the, uh, in Ipswich and uh, um, it was really tough in the sort of the, it was just sort of like fragmented room of different tables there was no sort of focus towards the stage so I was comparing I was just trying to get some focus before an act would come on and you'd get a lot of uh, energy and laughs out of a room while you were talking to that set part of the room. Right. But the other part of the room would start chatting amongst themselves oh, okay. or ordering drinks across the room. So it was really impossible to make them one gig. And um, uh, I asked this guy where he was, uh, the first act died on her ass. Absolutely uh, just, uh, she sort of like tried, because because of the lack of focus, I've seen her do well elsewhere. Yeah. Um, and I came back on sort of charged to sort of like, sort of like teach them a lesson. So they try and sort of like, get, look, guys. <laughs> if you waste comedians like that, you'll only have your own self to fucking blame. And um, I, I asked this guy where he was from. He said he was from Ipswich. But he hadn't been, he'd returned after eight years. And I was like, wait, wait, because I was in Cyprus, mate. And I was like, oh, eight years, why did you have to leave? Uh, where are the prostitutes buried? <laughs> <laughs> and I said that as just a generic sort of... Because that's where the guy was. I didn't think of that. <laughs> oh. I didn't say that because oh, I was fuck. in Ipswich, but they certainly thought I did. <laughs> <laughs> and I pretty much started a riot. Um, <laughs> they thought I'd come to Ipswich to break them for their prostitute killing when I was being oh, more generic with prostitutes. You remember this, yeah? No, I, 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 I had to catch up on what you guys meant by that. He was a taxi yeah. driver, was he? That mm. was murder 
quite a lot of prostitutes, yeah. didn't he? Well, yeah, one of the leaderboard of prostitutes. He's definitely <laughs> he's up, up there. there. He's in the top yeah. five. Yeah. Uh, Shit. Yeah. So yeah, you, you kicked off a riot there, basically. Yeah. Yeah. They were not. They were not happy about that. Touched a great big hip switch nerve. <laughs> so, you ba- so you basically. So that all came later. But your first Beverly Hills gig, not a bad place to start. And yeah. they were eating out of your it's hand. Quite, it's quite a descent, isn't it? Yeah. The Friars Club Beverly Hills yeah. to an unfocused pub in Ipswich, upsetting everyone. The the ghosts of dead prostitutes. <laughs> <laughs> Do you? Did you? Have you ever felt at that? For that, for that reason, have you ever been like, no, I've made the wrong choice here? Or, you <laughs> <laughs> or did you think, like, the honeymoon's over? Maybe, maybe I should have given up after that. Well, look, yeah. This is as good as it's going to get. Yeah. Let's quit while I am yeah. one gig in and I can be undefeated. Yeah. Uh, Perfect. One and one. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> but is it, have you been like, once you did that, was you like, actually, this is for me? And like, even though you've had bum gigs, you're just like, yeah. fuck that. I don't yeah, care. the first couple of years just was all all enveloping just completely absolutely sort of you uh, and you kind of have to do stand up like that it's very difficult to cross train to sort of like do a bit of st- do a bit of that go away do a play do a film I mean people do it and I've done it and but when you're trying to create a new bit or something it kind of has to you have to become obsessional about it. Sure. And when I've tried to thought, gone, God, I haven't written any new bits for ages. And they go, well, you're not thinking about it very often, David. Mm. You, you sit down with a notebook and go, come on then, let's get some mm. funny out. But when you're at your most creative, you're literally thinking about it all the time as you walk from the underground station to the flat, to the, you know, to the coffee shop, you're going over bits and stuff. Sure, because you're, you're mentally, re- you, you get in the zone, you're mentally rehearsing, and yeah I, yeah, I get that. I think most things, it helps to sort of absorb yourself in it, doesn't it? Definitely. And, and, and especially creatively. I think it was Brett that said it was like, you know, because to, 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 when he was in LA, he said he'd done some shows <laughs> and that, yeah. and I said to him, like, you know, did you do that just to earn a few quid? And he was out, he said, no, I didn't get paid. He said, but I see it as like, it's like staying fit. Yeah, like match just, fit. Just match fit. Yeah, just want to keep yeah. doing it. Like, do, do you kind of have that approach to yeah, it? Yeah, definitely. I did um, uh, a long run of a play a couple of summers ago. Um, bit, a big tour of uh, two plays in rep of uh, two gentlemen, Rona and Hay Fever, and we'd have odd days off between venues because we were going around the country, and I would desperately seek out a gig, and I didn't care if I got paid or anything. I was just like, I need to. Uh, because going on stage and doing three hours of Shakespeare is completely different to doing 20 minutes of jokes yeah. about your penis. Sure. Um, I know what I'd rather watch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, and yeah, it's complete. It's a completely different. I mean, I think there's a really interesting. You're told at drama school all the time, listen, listen, be in the moment, and you don't really understand it. It, there is something incredibly presence-making about being in... The worst thing you can do in stand-up is kind of see yourself, like, through a third person. You have a sort of... Out, when you die, that kind of happens. There's sort of like an out-of-body experience, you know, and you kind of see yourself on the outside, and you go, why is this guy so shit? <laughs> um, but... <laughs> <laughs> I'll ask the cloak attendant cloakroom attendant <laughs> you probably know uh, but you when you're on saying you're you know listening to 
listening to the crowd and listening to where they're laughing and how quickly they're laughing or um, whether they're sort of going with the filth or they're going with the politics or and, and you're it's not only choosing the different jokes but choosing how aggressive you might be or how fast you can go or if you need to let them know you're joking sometimes uh, with you know a, a smile and mm. you know just sometimes people go why would you say such a thing because it's a joke <laughs> fucking idiot <laughs> didn't actually mean the prostitutes I just <laughs> weren't I'm sure s- where I was I don't believe in ghosts <laughs> they don't know anything they're dead now <laughs> I'm yeah. stood in front of a massive grin with the word <laughs> comedy on it yeah. <laughs> there just could be assume. some clues about what I'm trying to do on <laughs> it assume I don't mean it yeah Okay, well, I also want to ask you about your influences and the comedians that, that you think a lot oh. of. Um, but do you want to get, a, should we get another one in before we get on to that? So this is kind of like three. We've done quite well here because you've, 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 you've very neatly tied these all in. Yeah, the three. The three so my next question is going to be really impossible to tie an embarrassing story into. But <laughs> on, number three, number three. Who's uh, if we could, we've had Beverly Hills, Ipswich, and Bristol. Those, yeah. um, okay. those. Uh, I do have two particular ones that are going to be my other ones. So, two influences wise, I think influence is really sort of like interesting thing. I think when you see a new comic, you can all nearly always see who they who they love. Yeah. And mm-hmm. when I started, I had to stop myself watching Eddie Izzard. I just had to ban myself from watching it because it was the second I was on stage and didn't know what I was going. I was going ah. I trust it to jam. Sure. Uh, because yeah, not deliberately, I wasn't trying to steal jokes no. or anything. It's just, and when, um, when I started, there were a lot of, the Russells were at the peak of their, they were Howard and mm-hmm. Brand, and there were a lot of, and uh, Stuart Lee is always the, 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 the sort of like, uh, if you go any open, because I, um, I was working as a tour guide at the Tower of London, and um, getting, uh, changed out of whatever ridiculous costume I was doing and people talking about what they were doing with their evening and I was like, oh, I'm comparing a new act competition in Deptford. And this guy said, oh, God, a new act. Well, how many acts are on? I said, oh, probably about 15. He went, oh, 15 people all trying to be Bill Hicks. And I was like, if only. Yeah. If yeah. only they were shooting that high. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, trying to be some... And I'm not saying that Strictly isn't high uh, yeah, as well, yeah. but, they, you know, people t- tend to pick the sort of, like, the shiniest and newest thing yeah. rather than the, the... And obviously Bill Hicks is a godfather, yeah. uh, you know, and... Uh, Richard Pryor, uh, you know, probably the two greatest comics and trailblazers. And you don't see many, ga- you, well, you do see when somebody does, like James Acaster came along and he was so sort of unique in himself from the get through. A lot of comics take a long time to find their own voice. And James kind of had his own voice very early doors. And, and people, you know, fell in love with him for it because he's an absolute lovely talent um and when somebody like that comes along you immediately see the sort of family tree afterwards i, I always think that simon yeah, amstel right, right. was that kind of guy they're not being the skinny acidine <laughs> geek that would have been bullied turning on the bullies yeah and then after simon we had you know the this not pretend, pretender sound uh, an awful way to put it, but I don't think you'd have an Alex Zane without Simon Amstel sure. beforehand. I, I, I saw um, not his recent tour, Simon Amstel's, but the, the tour before that, um, 
it was fucking brilliant. Yeah, absolutely he, brilliant. I he's one. He's he's one of the best. He's, yeah. he, he, he's he, he's fascinating to watch. Right from what was it? Pop World. I think he was first on. Yeah. Well, that was my first uh, experience of Simon, and ever since then, whenever he's on, I'm not going to change the, the channel. Thing, the that's, that, that's 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 that. The thing I love that him. kind of seemed to slip through the net. To, uh, from where I saw it was, um, did you watch Grandma's House? I didn't ever see. Uh, I saw bits of it. I didn't. Um, it was it was fantastic. It was. I can't think what the woman's name is from. Uh, no, me, no, you. Um, and oh, it was absolutely brilliant. And uh, yeah, he's. Uh, no, I haven't seen it. And mate. Carnage, the films. Yeah, still not seen it, man. Amazing. Oh, mate, superb. Absolutely yeah. superb. Everyone said that. Yeah. He's, he's stand up. I've I've been lucky enough to see him work new material before um, tours, and a bit like Kitson, you know of the phenomenon that is Daniel Kitson. Of course, uh, a lot of people don't. Uh, you know, amazingly, yeah. and yet he can sell out the yeah. National Theatre mm. for two weeks in forty-five minutes. Mm. Um, but when when you see Kitson try out a new subject matter, there's no. There's no kind of worry of being funny. He'll just take a subject matter and just like trying to unpack it and question why, why do we do this? Why, why, why do we behave like this? Why do? And the jokes almost are an afterthought. And then you see the routine when it's finished in a tour show, and there's nothing but jokes in it. And you think, God, I remember when he was just happy to just talk about this subject matter on stage, and just with no, no panic that he wouldn't find the funny. He kind of like knows, and it was more of an intellectual exercise of, uh, of unpackaging a subject matter, right? But it, seeing that growth of that, you know, it's a completely different art form to the sort of joke, the, the sort of Frankie Ball, Jim, uh, yeah. uh, Jimmy Carr sort of, uh, this is a structure of a joke, yeah. um, feed punchline, feed punchline. Um, and it's, it, it is a beautiful thing to see it in its different stages as mm. it grows um, but, uh, and, 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 and inspiring to make yourself pull your finger out as well <laughs> yeah. God, if he can, can, can make the fact uh, his routine about having to throw away food in order to not get fat and not it sound like a fucking column in the cosmopolitan yeah. scene <laughs> and be utterly sort of ownership of it and stuff and honest and when you see sort of great comics like Louis C.K. You know, there's a sort of opening of a vein as they talk about, you know, there can be, I mean, it turns out there were things that Louis wasn't being honest about. Mm. But you would imagine that had it been, had, had he had enough time, had he not got caught, at some point, he'd have talked about that in an act. Yeah, like that he'd, and it felt like there was no corner of Louis' psyche, no, no uh, shadows that he wasn't willing to go into and go, mm. why do I behave like this? Mm. Why do I do that? Well, most people, you know, will try and pretend that they're... <laughs> but maybe yeah. that was the source of it. I mean, yeah. Louis's always been quite dark with his and, and self-deprecating on how disgusting a human being yeah. he is. Um, and, you know, maybe he's drawn from that in, mm. in some ways. Um, yeah, that's a crazy one with Louis, but He's a funny dude. Yeah. Uh, if anybody's equipped with the intellectual tools to unpack it and talk about it some sometime down the road. It's yeah, definitely. It's, it's Louis C. K. 
that album will be interesting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> okay, so... Well, let's have a number three. Two. Is it two, two already? Two, yeah. Bloody hell. Yeah, I'm, I'm correct, aren't I? Yeah, yeah, yeah. we've done three. Yeah. Yeah. Shit. So number Sorry. Two. So this, would, this is a non-stand-up one. This is how I ended up playing the bagpipes at Gwen Stefani's wedding. Right, I'm sorry. What standard the they are? Fucking <laughs> hell. <laughs> uh, was, um, so I went to military, as I said, both my parents were in the army. And I uh, went to a military school that had a marching band. And I was born in Aberdeen, uh, although lived very little of my life here. My parents moved away when I was very young, hence no Scottish accent at all. And um, uh, famously bad at a Scottish accent, actually. Uh, uh, Time Out magazine was quick to point out. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I got a review for a play I did, which was Scottish in it. Uh, it's, 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 I can't remember the line, but he, he was very keen to make me know that I did not know how to do a Scottish Brilliant. And, uh, there we go. Um, did the sentence start with Scottish-born Dave Whitney? It, but, <laughs> <laughs> it should have done. <laughs> Abaddonian native David Whitney. <laughs> can't sound like he is from further north than Finchley <laughs> to save his fucking life. Um, but, um, yeah, so I, I, in the first year at this military school, the first years had to take up an instrument from the marching band in a way of keeping first years out of trouble and making sure that the marching band had new people. And 90% of kids just wanted to play the snare drum or the bugle. And the slightly more eccentric people would go for the bagpipes. And I thought... You did, sorry, did you mean show-offs? Yes. Right. That is what eccentric yeah. means. <laughs> 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 Show off Dave Whitney and not do a <laughs> Scottish accent. <laughs> and, uh, so uh, I, I didn't really even think, you know, I didn't think I'd play them a day after I had to, you know. Yeah, sort of, yeah. But then being in the band was a lot of fun and you got to travel and go do events. And so we did an opening ceremony for a a tennis tournament in Germany. If you're like a 12-year-old, you think like, feel like you're a rock star. Yeah. Um, and um, so I, I played them for the full five years that I was at the school, but they, they were the school's pipes. Um, have, you got, have you got to set your own pipes now? I have yeah. now, yeah. Because when I went to drama school, I had saved up some money. I'd worked in a, a factory um, in Alton in Hampshire making uh, rubber tubing to go into car engines. Um, Good times. We've all been uh, there. Yeah. Well, uh, it was a properly horrible job, but it was the best paid thing that I could do for a year yeah. um, and save up to go to drama school. And it, was, it was like ridiculous. I mean, you can't even imagine that such jobs in the days of technology that they still exist. But basically, you have this like huge rack of metal poles, and you had to put a, this sort of limp rubber tubing, like a massive condom. <laughs> on the metal pole, then put the rack into another where it baked, and then when they came off, the, the tubes were solid, rather than being flaccid, mm. like they, they, they'd have the bends in them to go round the engine, and they'd be a solid tube rather than, and you'd burn your hands and wrists on these things. It was absolutely horrible, but it was like three times the money than working um, in Safeways or something like that, which was the other sort of day, year out type I'll take job. a Bernie yeah, for that. I'll take, yeah, and I'll go, and I, I realised that I had enough money to get myself through sort of early period of drama school, but it wasn't enough to get me through the three years. So I decided to buy myself the full Highland kit and the bagpipes, and I'd go busking um, uh, rather than getting a bar job or something like that. And that's how I paid my way through drama school. And I'll take it, you can't play the guitar. 
I'm not a magician. I play the bagpipes. I'd sling someone a, a, a pound coin for a bagpipe playing than a guitar. Definitely. Yeah. Was you, where would you do the busking? Uh, back then it was sort of Piccadilly Circus yeah. and Leicester Square, yeah. um, which had become, um, I, I believe, a bit unplayable nowadays. But, right. um, but it no was one could fill your shoes, mate, afterwards. <laughs> the <laughs> void like, was created, a vacuum yeah, was created. Piccadilly Circus on the ground. And it was, again, you felt like, a, a, you know, it's a 20 year old in London. Uh, living in a little flat in Hackney, going to drama school and earning quite good money over weekends, busking in Piccadilly Circus, felt felt like an absolute rock star. Yeah, mate, that's a, what a story. Can I, can, can take I ask, as well. what sort of money would you make busking in, in somewhere Does like that? For the inland revenue, listen to this podcast. <laughs> 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 It would massively vary. Uh, you uh, you could have a drizzly day and get you know fuck all, but I mean you'd always do better than. Better than a bar job. Ever. Yeah. Always. Just a very clever answer. That, that was a very good answer, mate. <laughs> <laughs> Better than a bar job. That's all you get in. Wow. Is it hard to play bagpipes, though? Just physically hard work. Yeah. Um, musically, there are only nine notes. So Musically, yeah. everyone knows it's not hard work, mate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't ask that. It's a very low ceiling. Um, uh, yeah, the, the, the thing that, I mean... Um, what the mastering the finger work is yeah. one thing, but the, the thing that makes a piper sound bad is when they don't um, have the physical uh, power and also, but also um, technique to keep it constant. So you've got right. these three pipes on your shoulders mm. and they should be a constant. Right. But if you, there are no breath in any other woodwind instrument, you have breaths in the music. So at the, the point that you need to breathe in, sure. there's a break in the music, but there's no breaks in bagpipe music because when you take a breath in, you squeeze the bag. So, but to keep <laughs> your breath and the squeezing constant, so it doesn't go, that's, that's, the, that's the skill, that's sure. the thing that takes time to learn. Learning Amazing Grace is, uh, the, the notes of Amazing Grace is relative, I mean, it's essentially a recorder. Right. Um, there are no flats, there are no sharps. There, it is just nine notes and uh, you, you're, you're off on your way. So, um, I mean, uh, a competition bagpiper would say, evidently isn't that easy, David, considering <laughs> your piping. Uh, Sorry, what was that accent? <laughs> Jamaican. He's oh, okay. uh, <laughs> LA one. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, so, uh, but, yeah, it is relatively sick, but physically, mm. if you, like, I haven't played for a cup uh, since really New Year's Eve, um, so the next time I play them, I'll Oh, it'll take me ages to get uh, it'll take me a good sort of couple of days yeah. of taking them out onto Hampstead Heath and trying to remind my body how to do it to <laughs> yeah that's it's, it's really like impressive though just getting the acoustic out and having a, a play is it? I guess the mm. the noise of bagpipes drum level loudness yeah, is it like it's mm. that could be a neighbour's Nightmare. Yeah, I would never play them in the flat. Yeah, I'd always, uh, I'd always go. Yeah. Go out into Hampstead Heath. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So from from. Is it, go on, sorry. As a kid, I was always sent out into the woods to practice. And That's amazing. Uh, I'd, I'd literally just take the dog out and just be walking around fleet ponds. Uh, so my parents were basing Aldershot, and um, just uh, it was one year fleet pond froze, 
and uh, I, I walked across Fleet Ponds uh, with my dog playing the bagpipes and I'm just hoping that somewhere somebody has a photo out of that. That would have made greatest deaths ever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that or you'd have found yourself on the, uh, the Darwin, in the Darwin Awards. Yes. <laughs> so, at How, this yeah, point, sorry. so you're, 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 you're busking... Yeah. Um, as a piper, and then, like, how do you go from that to kind of getting actual work with that? Do you, you know? So, um, I printed off some cards, me and my Sunday best, uh, Bonnie Prince Charlie jacket, kilt, all that sort of jazz, um, saying, I'll do weddings, funerals, permits, castrations, circumcisions. <laughs> um, and uh, people would regularly stop and ask me if I did weddings, and I'd give them a card. Um, and I do a mail out sort of funeral parlors and stuff like that. And I still bizarrely get phone calls from undertakers that I've never worked for, for that have had my card in like a roller deck for like 15 years. But it's the first time that somebody in Norwood Junction has asked for a bagpiper. And Crazy. they're picturing, I think you've got an. There's yeah. a ridiculously old photo of me at 22 or something. Um, and and uh, the much smaller waistline than presently <laughs> have, and a significantly lower hairline. Uh, and, um, and then I'll get a phone call out of the blue and, go, and say, oh, do you still do this? Yeah, all right then, why not? <laughs> It'll fill a gap between two empty jobs. Let's go. And I was playing in Piccadilly Circus, and um, this guy came up to me and asked me if I did weddings. And I said, yes, and gave him the card. And he phoned up a couple of days later and um, booked me. And he said, can you do the rehearsal as well? And I said, mate, I've done loads of weddings, but I don't need to come to the rehearsal. You basically need to tell me where to stand, nod at me when to start, nod at me when I finish. It's, I don't need to, do, this isn't a two day job. Yeah. And he went, well, we'll pay you for the, the rehearsal as well. Sure. Uh, see you there. Um, and it was at the Actors Church in Covent Garden, um, uh, St. Paul's Church, not to be mistaken with St. Paul's Cathedral. And um, uh, the night before, I'd gone out in the town, and I'd been busking as well, so I was still in my kilt, but a kilt and a leather jacket and a T-shirt, not a kilt and a black tie and all that sort of stuff. And I'd been out on an absolute bender and ended up sleeping on somebody's hotel floor somewhere... <laughs> And had come in reeking of booze, absolutely looking estate, um, and um, sort of like apologised to the best man. I said, "Look, mate, tomorrow for the wedding, I'll be I'll be scrubbed up, parade parade gloss, top to toe, I promise." And he said, "Don't worry, mate. They think it's hilarious. They're all rock stars." And I thought he meant rock stars as a euphemism, mm. um, <laughs> but he actually meant that they were rock stars. <laughs> And I sat down to this, next to this very attractive woman on the park bench in front of uh, St. Paul's, and uh, she was obviously the bride, and um, I introduced myself, and um, she introduced herself as Gwen, and, and I asked her what she did for a living, um, because I didn't recognize her. And she said she was a singer, and I said, oh, really, I've just graduated from drama school myself, not much of a singer, I'm better at singing than a Scottish accent, but... Um, <laughs> and uh, she... Um, She's, she sort of like shrugged it off and we did the rehearsal and went our separate ways. And then came back to Covent Garden the next day and the whole of Covent Garden is in shutdown. For that, there's, you know, crowds like for the Beatles, uh, for this big wedding. I had no idea 
what I was turning up to. This sort of security guard sees me and sort of helicopters me into the into the actual private area. I do the the wedding and then uh, we go to home house in Marble Arch for the um, uh, the reception. And uh, I play again um, for, uh, uh, after the dinner. Oh, at, at the dinner. So the best man, first of all, said, uh, there's huge sort of like banqueting tables in a gazebo in the garden at the back so of home house. went into Gavin Rosdale. Yes, exactly yeah. so. Um, and uh, the best man has got me uh, a sort of place at a bar inside while they all go outside. And I'm, I'm happy. It's Larry at the, the the bar eating on my Todd. But the best man seems, he's very keen to get me to feel like I'm one a guest. And he comes and goes, I found your place at the table. You come and come and sit with us. And I sit at this table. Um, and a guy opposite me, some high guy, uh, Sony. And he's, rea- he's quite rude about them letting the staff eating at the table. This <laughs> is... It's like that bit from uh, Titanic when uh, Leonardo DiCaprio gets to go, to go up to first class, isn't it? <laughs> and um, absolute snake of a person. Yeah. And one of the um, uh, one of the rounds of food was this uh, bit of um, sea bass in a pillow of salt. But to all intents and purposes, to look at it, you'd think it was like a massive ravioli pillow and um, that like a raw. Um, uh, pasta, but you have to cut through the pillow of salt to get to the the, uh, the 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 fish inside, and just I'm already eating it, and I've seen it before, so I know what I'm doing. And just as Gavin Rossdale's saying, "Hey guys, nobody eat the actual pillow. You've got to cut it. Don't eat it." It's Pure salt, and this guy from Sony has got like a mouthful of salt and it's got his napkin. And I just sort of turned to the guy next to me and said, It's funny, we, we eat this down in storage all the time. Later, <laughs> uh, uh, so after dinner, I play again, and uh, Gwen Stefani thanks me, she's very gracious and a lovely woman. And she said, She said, uh, she said It was funny, yes, so you didn't know who we were when you, you were booked. And I went, no, 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 I didn't. And I've clear. And she said, so you didn't rip us off like everybody else. And I went, no, 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 my usual fee plus free food and drink all day and a complimentary bridesmaid. Mm. And she doesn't flinch. She just goes, you only want one bridesmaid? Hmm. Wicked. And it, and I, it was the line that I'd used at like 30 <laughs> sure. weddings. And, and the, everybody in the past had always just gone, oh, you. And she just straight face. You only Brilliant. want one bridesmaid? Oh, God, Gwen Stefani. <laughs> Gwen Stefani you is my, her, uh, yeah. Is, yeah, is one of my 90s, like, super crushes. Like, yeah. if not the, the number one. Yeah. And um, so when you've just said that, mate, I don't think I actually got past you just hearing that you met Gwen Stefani. <laughs> what a crazy bloody story. Playing bagpipes. Never thought you'd get that far. And, yeah. and you didn't recognise her. And you showed no. up absolutely smashy wonko for, uh, like, rehearsal. Oh, man. So, before we go on to the last one, have you got a podcast? I, I do. Um, well, it's, I mean, it is, I suppose it's, my, it's more the Backyard Comedy Club's podcast. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, so, I um, co-run the Thursday night shows there, which are, the, are new acts and new materials. So, it, uh, on the Fridays and Saturdays, you get just the same format as you saw in Grey's, three acts and a compare, um, doing 20 to 30 minutes um, of their best stuff, knocking it out of the park, Friday, Saturday night show. On the Thursday night, we have about 
eight comics doing about eight minutes each. Some of them are trying to sort of audition to be the Fridays and Saturday nights guys. They're trying to get up the ranks. And some of them are pros that do the Fridays and Saturday nights, but they're experimenting with new material. So it's, I like to call it our jam night. You know, yeah, it's a, it's yeah. a, it's a, look, some of tonight's going to be shit. Just embrace it. Yeah, you know, the, yeah. this, this is our, this is our playroom. Um, and uh, so, obviously, we have a huge sort of conveyor belt of comics coming in and out of the building. So myself and Chris Anastasi, who's not a comic, he's a, um, uh, a screenwriter. We do a very not as not as uh, posh kit as we would just sit around a Yeti microphone and just um, uh, free-formed conversation about stand-up, really, and um, with from some great. Uh, spectrum of great sort of uh, uh, bastions and sort of dogs of the circuit, great headliners to new acts talking about their experience of how, because the circuit's changed so much that my experience of being a new act is completely different to that. There's a digital revolution of it all. Mm. The fact that there's no Time Out magazine. Time Out magazine used to be the the Bible. Mm -hmm. You just got Time Out magazine, you went through the comedy listings, you highlighted anything that said new acts in and there'd be normally a landline. Some of them didn't even have an email address yeah. and you'd pick them up and just say, hey, I'm new. And they'd go, oh, 18th of July, six minutes or whatever. And you, you, and, and if you, you'd get those bookings in for like six, seven months time, but to get up to those bookings, you'd go out You'd go out with your your copy of Time Out and go. Oh right, there's five in the Old Street area. Yeah. I can go in. I'll go down to Old Street and I'll walk round these five and introduce myself and see if I can get on. See if people haven't turned up for their spots. Yeah. If I don't get on, at least I've been put a face yeah. to a name and yeah, sort yeah, of stuff of like that. And now it's very difficult for the new acts to do that. I think it's there's a much higher level of competence um, of new acts because because showbiz has just become so much more commercial, so much, as we were saying before the podcast, so there used to be loads of gigs around here and, um, that were in things like bookshops after hours or something <coughs> like that. And there does that alternative. And the open mic circuit was just awash with people with borderline mental health issues. Um, but very funny with it. Uh, some of them very funny with it, and some of them properly worrying. Whereas <laughs> now you go to a new act night and they... They all look ready to present a daytime pop show on Channel yeah. 4. What, what do you think, what's helped that, has guided that, we've, we've, you know, in the last five, ten years? Is it, is it social media? Is it technology? Is it the access to being able to observe people so much easier for these people I think online? And I think there's a lot of that, but I think it's also, um, uh, there's, uh, there's, uh, I think this, for somebody 15 years ago to say that they were going to give stand-up a go was quite a huge thing in of, of itself that, that not many people did stand-up. Sure. There was about you know, um, Noel, who runs the Comedy Calf, which is, it used to be on Rivington Street, not far from here. They've got a new venue. But um, uh, he, he used to talk about the fact that when he, he, he used to have a list of 40 acts that were his professional acts, and now they've got over 4,000. Uh, and I think that it's just so oh, many, so many people with social media. Everybody's, everybody's a celebrity in their own smartphone now, you know. And um, I think that, uh, to be honest, it, 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 there's a, 
there's a sort of cliff to that, though. I think there's much more of a level of competence, but there aren't. So I remember doing like Camden Jonglers, and uh, so an open spot as an unpaid sort of tryout, and everybody on the bill was a, a beast, was just like, you know, Jim Jeffries, Rod Gilbert, Craig Campbell, all on the same bill. Um, and now you've got four guys in skinny jeans all talking about, isn't it? difficult the first time you move out of your mum's house um they're all very technically good about it but they aren't as i said there's a higher level of competence but not necessarily the the, the same beast and I, and I and i also think i think that is because of digital revolution because people have to throw things away so quickly you don't you don't nurture an act over years you kind of you do a new act competition and it's online, it's on YouTube, whether you like it or not, mm. um, and you've kind of got to throw it away. It's exactly um, the same as music. I was literally going to say that, music. We've had the, it's weird, we've had these, these seen these threads with music, definitely, and, and people don't get, do, people get don't picked so up and put down really quickly, yeah. don't they? Yeah. yeah. I think people that get, I mean, I'm not saying I wouldn't have liked it to happen to me, but people that get picked up really early, it's very difficult for them to get better mm. because they're in the in the limelight immediately how can they experiment how can they you know uh, everybody talks about the Beatles having their Germany years where mm -hmm. they learn how to be a band yeah. yeah and you've got to kind of have that time you have to have your time on the road you have to make your mistakes <laughs> mentioning prostitutes in Ipswich <laughs> um, uh, otherwise otherwise you never really develop from your you, uh, I, I think uh, I'm not going to name but I can think of some people that were brilliant at their new act competitions, got picked up, and they are not any better than they were when they started. Because they're, yeah. they're sort of doing, they know what they can deliver on. Yeah. And they haven't got time to sort of get there. And they've got to survive on stage, so they haven't got the mm. time to experiment. Yeah. I was hearing this same argument about fighting in new uh, training in new, uh, new mixed martial arts clubs. Mm. And uh, Luke Rockhold uh, has moved to a new kickboxing association. He's, uh, Dan Hardy was saying that might not be a good idea because you won't be able to because you're not comfortable with the people you're sparring with. It's a fight every day as opposed to being in an environment that you know that you can actually test things out and then therefore become a yeah. better fighter. Um, that's, yeah, that's a strange one, that. Well, before we get to the top spot, can we pause it so I can have a wee? Sure, yeah, yeah. okay, granddad. Let's do that. <laughs> had a very big wee from my very small ding-dong. Drain the lizard, eh? I certainly did, mate. <laughs> certainly did. Um, so, what was five minutes to us is about three seconds on this, I guess. Probably. So, straight back into the action. Um, Dave, number one. Well, the weirdest, surreal, most fucked up gig of my life was one that ended with me being in a jail cell. Um. <laughs> okay, you you've beat Brett. Brett's like, oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> He's lying. He lives never in a job. Um, Edinburgh, 2010. <laughs> I was arrested for headbutting a heckler. Um, it's kind of... Weird. <laughs> it's appropriate it was in Scotland. And you <laughs> nutted someone. Um, Got I diss in your manner? 
they, 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 they didn't like my accent. Um, <laughs> uh, fucking Scottish accent. What, what, sorry, uh, what was yeah, that? Nigerian. All right. Nigerian. Uh, and um, so, um, yeah, uh, so it was a one in the morning gig in the Cannons Gate. Is this at Fringe? Yeah. Yeah. And I had been booked to headline this uh, compilation show of acts that were doing shows elsewhere on the Fringe. There's hundreds of these things at the Edinburgh Fringe where you do 10 or 15 minutes of your act to hopefully sell people to come and see your one-hour show. Sure. And I was booked to headline this gig. And the people that ran the gig... Um, weren't there it was their one night of the whole month that they were having off their day uh, the fringe because it's like fucking five weeks long you have to have a day off at some point just to yeah. you know because uh, i mean it is a mentally uh stinting uh process in a professional and um so this gig was left in charge of somebody else didn't seem to really know what was going on couldn't operate the PA system. The, the mic was, wasn't working very well. Um, the other acts that were meant to be, so it was meant to be the Comparing Three acts, but without inter, a sort of condensed club night with no intervals, just an hour show. And the other two acts aren't there at the beginning of the show. Um, bad vibes so far. Pardon? Pretty bad vibes at the moment. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Despite this, it is a full room of a really lovely audience. Oh, okay. Um, about 80 people, although if the, for f the following Edinburgh Fringe, uh, everybody who said that they were at that gig, that room was a lot bigger than, uh, than I thought it was. So is this early or on in your career, or is this more recent? This is 2010, so I've been going about three, four years. Okay. Just starting to establish myself, get sort of paid work. Just signed to my first agent, literally weeks beforehand. And... Um, so these other two acts haven't turned up, but there's another act there trying, trying his hand, just saying, hey, can I get a spot? And, and I say to the guy running it, I said, well, why don't you just put him on and then I'll do whatever time is left in the hour and then we've got our show. Um, the compare tries to use this mic that's got hissing and re reverb and no one can really understand him. So the first act chooses to not use a mic at all it's fine in 90% of the room because they're a lovely audience, but there was this one guy at the bar, uh, bar running one full length of the side of the venue. Um, and that is also the corridor between the rows of seating that, it, that is the audience. Yeah. The, the corridor that to and from the stage are walking down the bar with a couple of people standing at the bar as there always is. They don't really want to be, are not really... Uh, investing in this, I'm standing cool to one side, I'm not really part of the audience. And so these guys start chatting at the bar, which wouldn't be a problem, but without a mic, you've not got the power. To yeah. Just, yeah, can't so drown them out. So um, they're a little bit of a problem with the first act on stage, and then when I'm on, they're a little bit, and I ask them, so like, guys, if you want to chat, just go to the bar upstairs, no problem. And then it starts from that sort of just negotiating out of it to them starting to hurl abuse, me dealing with those heckles professionally, getting a lot of laughs at their expense, absolutely winning the, 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 the two and forth, no problem, sure. micless or not. Excellent. Um, and then the compare is waving at me to get off 
And I think he's waving at me to get off because he thinks that I'm not handling this heckler well. But actually, the other acts that were meant to be on before me have turned up and they want to get on. Um, and frankly, they were late. They should have just been told, look, you missed your spot, mm. fuck off. Um, but um, they, this guy wants to get them on. He's doing this at me and I'm getting pissed off at him. Completely emotionless about the heckler. Hecklers happen, they just caught it, you know. And then um, I come off stage, the, the compet essentially bumps me off stage. He like comes on stage to yeah. go. Um, I am seeing red about that. That's I, fucking annoying. And I walk off and I'm, I'm just, walk, I've completely forgotten about the heckler. And then I just get a, gra a hand on my shoulder and I'm turned round and I'm nose to nose with the guy with heckling saying, you think you're fucking clever, pal? Isle of Wight. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that was a really good Billy Connolly impression. There, was it? <laughs> uh, and uh, I, and it wasn't like a fucking Glasgow kiss. I wasn't. It was li we were nose to nose. Yeah. And um, I just sort of got him out of my way with my head. Yeah. Um, a head push. The, cl <laughs> the classic head push. Uh, Officer. <laughs> and the police were called, and I spent a night in. Uh, Her Majesty's Pleasure in Edinburgh, which was an experience in itself. Um, uh, sharing a, a was there many other comedians in there? With Bizarrely not. I was the, <laughs> the only guy. I, I tried to keep my mouth shut about what I was there. Like I was a comic or something. But it somehow got that this quite fucking head by the heckler. I think they made me their king for the night. It was because I was in a cell with two guys that were both in for attempted murder. No. And I was like, uh, and they were like, going, oh, it's fucking brave what you do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Really? Um, and um, I spent a cut, and my then agent, that had just been my agent, as I said, for a couple of weeks, she was incredibly supportive by standing by me because she, she only signed me two weeks ago. It would have been far less stress and. Um, just, just walk away, say, this isn't what I signed up for. See ya. And she stood by me, but she was just a comedy agent. She's not like a showbiz manager, not yeah. like, you know, it wasn't like being represented by CIM or something. She had no PR department. She had no experience of dealing with these sort of things. So it was the blind leading the blind. And what could have been used as a publicity bump ended up spiraling out of control because we decided that it'd be best that I just didn't talk about it, that I didn't, didn't, you know, I was getting phone calls from national publications asking me to talk about it. And... Uh, what was your personal stance on that? Did you, did you want to talk about it or did you kind I of... I was so grateful that she stood by me. I said that I'd do as I was told. Mm -hmm, sure. Um, and uh, I wasn't saying, no, I feel I should talk about it. In hindsight, I should have talked about it because Mickey Flanagan was quick to point out, he said, by you not talking, you created a vacuum. And that vacuum was filled by other people's stories. Mm. So what was, as I say, a, a small head push, turned, you know, two weeks later, you know, it was as if I'd killed the guy um, and was walking around Edinburgh wearing his skin. Uh, you know, the, the exaggerations of the story were, were out, off the charts. It was a horrible, horrible time. And I... Uh, 
thought it's just oh, this is this is it. So <laughs> career over. It's over. Uh, Can you talk about? Did, did it go to court? Yeah, or? it did go to court. Oh, wow. um, in a, in Scotland, unlike in England, um, I got caught, contacted bizarrely by a guy who had uh, represented Amy Winehouse, who said, "I seen this thing in the paper. Just wanted to see if we could help you out. This is what we do." And he was like, it's straight self-defense, mate. It's absolutely no problem. This is a walk in the park. And um, uh, I said, well, my Scottish lawyer says that it isn't uh, because apparently the laws are a bit different in Scotland. And basically, Scotland is so paranoid for their, their social unrest, reputation of drunken uh, violence that... Self-defense is really hard to prove. And also in Scotland, other than in, in England, if you punch somebody and the person that pu you punched goes, to be fair, I had it coming, the police drop it. That You have to press charges. But you don't get charged by the victim in Scotland. You get charged by the proctor fiscal. Right, right, right. Um, because they... And it comes from a good place. It comes from a good place. Basically, they don't want to be called to scenes of domestic violence where a woman's been... Uh, having seven colours kicked sure. out of her, they take the bloke away, arrest him, and in the morning she's rapping on the door of the jail going, I don't care, I, he loves me, I want him back, and then they can't prosecute because... So, again, they, so they just prosecute any violence. Um, uh, so, I basically, I got the lowest fine that, that you can get. Yeah. Yeah, I got the absolute... For a head push. Minute. Yeah, for a head push, yeah. <laughs> wow. um, but... Um, but it was pretty awful. But what saved the day was, you know, people spent thousands and thousands of pounds on PR to go to Edinburgh. And all these articles are out in, like, like Chortle acted quite disgracefully, actually, because they, they reported it relatively accurate. What, what's Chortle? Chortle is the comedy industry um, uh, website. Okay. Um, and it's very, during Edinburgh, it's very powerful. Um, in telling the world who's having a good Edinburgh and who isn't. Okay. Um, the star rating that you get from your review in Chortle is... Because, it, it, because of the internet now, everything lasts forever, rather than back in the day, you got a bad review. Two days later, yeah. that paper doesn't moved, exist anymore. Yeah. Now they last... And Ch Chortle's so high in the sort of like Google hit rates in the comedy world that that review really does... So, so they put it on the front page of Chortle... Um, and reported it relatively accurately. And then he contacted me for the story, and when I said no, he rewrote it, utterly inflaming the whole thing. Fine. In a sort of, fuck you, if you're not going to talk to me about it, I'll report what I like, type thing. And it was, it was absolutely slanderous, the, the version that they rewrote. Um, but then this review came out, in of all publications, The Spectator. Um, and, um, you know... Everybody's up there dying for reviews, trying to get desperate to get two inches in the big issue or the list or things that people have never heard of, like you know, three weeks and uh, the, you know, just publications run by students that, you know, were not even going to go into journalism. They're sure. literally doing it for, a, a, uh, you know, they've never written anything longer than a birthday card and suddenly <laughs> they're reviewing somebody's career. And there I am getting this double page spread in The Spectator. And he had been there. He was actually there. No. And it was, uh, unfortunately, it didn't, 
he didn't see the actual moment, so there was no sort of evidence of the other guy grabbing my shoulder or something. Mm. But he relayed exactly the story about the PA not working, about the guy. The fact that I had had actually a good gig, that was one of the prime things. Go and yeah. see, it wasn't like a heckler got to me. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't like I was died it. on my ass, yeah. Yeah. died on my ass, and out of a moment of, uh, fuck you then, and yeah. I punched yeah. somebody. Yeah. I had stormed it. I had yeah. had a good gig. Yeah. And this, it was all relayed in this review from the spectator. And that pretty, I mean, I've never, in some ways, never really recovered but, uh, professionally. Yeah. But I probably never, probably just had to knock it on the head if it hadn't been for that yeah. article. Fuck. Really? I reckon so. Yeah. And, and um, a couple of years later, I went back to Edinburgh and did a, um, an Edinburgh show, and I had PR, and they were, and my, they were bullying me to talk about it. And ironically, then I just wanted to get over it and not, I mean, it's certainly ironic that I'm now talking about it at yeah. length, but I haven't talked about it really until the, now, really. Um, and not in any public form. Yeah. Um, because our listenership, by the way, is much like those lads who write articles that are only like the length of a birthday card. <laughs> <laughs> so don't worry. <laughs> the only people going to hear it is, uh, well, me. That's one. I've heard it with these earphones on and a couple others, so... Well, I just thought it, a bit, it seemed like an appropriate amount of time now and just mm. put my own version out there. Because um, it, it was pretty pretty horrible. Pretty horrible. Yeah. I mean, I did do something wrong. I'm not shying no, no, away no. from that. No. You know, yeah. I'm not saying that um, I was in the right, but um, the righteous derision was disproportionate. That's, Certainly. That's, <laughs> that's the, the point right there. As a, as a licensee... I've had many, many, many incidents where door stewards may have acted as seen by the press in an order that they shouldn't have. Yeah. But in the situation at the time and what they were faced with, you know, you, you make a call, don't you? And it is a lot of self-defence involved in these things. It, it kind of frustrates me that people yeah. sort of like, he, like in, in a Sometimes sense Sometimes common sense goes out the window, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, yeah, you did. You, you you did something wrong, but it's it's within the frames of what actually you know. There's Absolutely. other people Absolutely. in that as well, and yeah. then then you have like a reporter who feels snubbed, and then isn't actually doing what journalism is, and he's just writing off the back of their ego and the fact that they're just emotional about the fact yeah. you haven't told them the story, so they're going to write it as salaciously as possible. Yeah, that must be so fucking frustrating, mate. Mm. Um, from Beverly Hills to, to a Scottish to, jail to, to a Scottish slammer. Um, Dave, that was one hell of a top five, mate. Thank you. Um, mm. And your story is fascinating, man. Like, I was saying when when uh, when Granddad Whiffy went to go and have a wee, that um, your your career it's just been you, has you, careered. Yeah, it has <laughs> careered, dude. You, you've not you're not you've not been scared uh, even from like you know a young age to be like. Oh, yeah, no, well, so what are you going to do to pay for drama school? Uh, going to play the bagpipes yeah. as busking. It's like, Jesus, man, that's, the, that's not the normal route to go. Not Hence, opportunities come your way, such as uh, meeting Gwen Stefani and uh, head-pushing people. Psychics. <laughs> <laughs> Dave, um, where can yeah. people that um, have listened to this and want to find out more about you, where can they find out more about you, mate? Um, I've got a website, davidwhitney.org. Um, everything's on there from clips of my stand-up, clips of my acting. Um, 
somebody's in the diary page of where my gigs are coming up is broken, but I shall fix that soon. And it will be, uh, but I can be found at the Backyard Comedy Club nearly every Thursday. Um, and where's that? Uh, that's in Bethnal Green, right by yeah. Bethnal Green Tube Station, uh, owned by Lee Hurst, who mm -hmm. brought us all together. And, um, uh, and I also have a film, uh, Guardians, uh, which is uh, being uh, screened in several different picture house cinemas up and down the country. Um, but there, it's not a national distribution, so each screening is sort of independent, as it were. So you can find out details about that at guardiansfilm.co.uk. Amazing. You wrote that or directed I'm it or I'm produced it? it, it it's a group of my mates, we made it together. So um, we've worked together from like 15 years ago. We started working together at the Old Red Lion uh, Theatre Pub doing new writing plays. Yep. And Mark Brown, who uh, I worked with um, uh, years and years and years ago, he was, he's a writer and wants to be a screenwriter, but he kind of made this film out of frustration of, he'd written all these scripts and people had told him, yeah, we're gonna make this for three million, we're gonna make that. Mm. And he just, um, we just decided to make a movie with the change we had in our pockets. Sure. Um, and it's got into loads of film festivals, it's doing very well. It's, um, uh, we will premiered it in America just before Christmas at the Genre Blast uh, Film Festival in uh, Virginia, um, where we won Best Screenplay, Best Actress in a Supporting Role, and... Um, worst Scottish Accent. And worst Scottish <laughs> Accent, uh, and Best Ensemble. Um, and we've got, we've got a load more festivals coming up, including the inaugural Newcastle Film Festival, which is going to be a really... It's, um, uh, going to be really be obviously it's inaugural so it's never happened before I nearly had to explain the word ignoral I'm a retard um, but it's, it's a real big deal and Mark who wrote and directed it's from the northeast um, so that's going to be a big deal so oh, there'll be lo loads of details about screening there's one coming up Smashing. in Crouch End Picture House there's one coming up in Brighton and there's going to be some in Scotland in Edinburgh and Glasgow uh, yeah, it's all on the website guardiansfilm.co.uk Amazing. We'll tag you um, in our, when we, we, we put this out, obviously we'll tag you in bits and pieces and uh, if you've ever stumbled across some uh, bizarre gig experiences, then uh, let us know. Yeah, or have a gig off. Whose was weirdest, more strange? Brett or Dave? <laughs> Thanks, mate. Thank you. Cheers, mate. Oh, hello. Welcome back, welcome back, welcome back to the end of the podcast bit. <laughs> With me and Chrissy Goldtouch. Oh. <laughs> oh, look at him laughing away at his own joke. Um, I hope you enjoyed that podcast. Uh, if you like the sound of it, it's because it was recorded at the Hoxton Square Bar and Kitchen. And yeah. if you like that sound, then get down there on April the 28th because the sound will be me and my co-host Christopher Glasson mm -hmm. on stage with lots of famous faces yep. talking all manner of bullshit. Tickets available on cticket.com. You slags. Buy them now, you slags. It's a drunken soiree in the within. <laughs> Chris and Stu present our core listing, the podcast.